All right, take your Bible. Go with me to Mark chapter 5. We are going to start in verse 21. We'll go down through the end of that chapter. When in the course of human events, those words you probably recognize, they begin the Declaration of Independence, which of course was signed 244 years ago yesterday, July 4th, 1776. And we know that in that document, Congress declared independence from Great Britain and really more specifically from King George. If you've never, maybe, maybe the, well, the most well-known phrase in that document is, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. But they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And if you've never taken the time to read that document in, it, in its entirety, I would encourage you to do that this weekend. Our, our family, we sat around our dining table yesterday and read the uh, Declaration of Independence for the first time. And it's really, it's eye-opening to see uh, what the founding fathers are, of our nation were declaring independence from and, and who they were declaring independence from. Um, it's also eye-opening really to see the, if I can put it this way, the divine language that's used throughout the document, con consistently calling on the Creator to bless this new idea of a nation. Now, this morning, we gather not to celebrate the, the freedom that's given to us just because we are citizens of the United States, but we, we gather to celebrate the freedom that's granted to us by the Savior of the world. See, our freedom as followers of Christ was granted not by a document that was signed over 200 years ago, but, but it's a freedom that was won 2,000 years ago on a rugged cross and, and an empty tomb. And while the Declaration of Independence says that we are granted the rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and in the Christian worldview, we, we might say that, that we are given life, yes, liberty, yes, and we are called to a pursuit of holiness. Now, those two things are not necessarily at odds, and especially in the life of a believer, because I would say that for the believer, true happiness is found only in a life of holiness. In our passage this morning, we're going to see Christ Jesus granting freedom from bondage to those enslaved by disease and death, not through a document, but by his very words. And so we're going to do this just a little bit differently. So I'm not going to read the passage in its entirety. Instead, we're going to read it kind of in chunks um, as we progress through the story. There are Two stories in this one passage this morning. One that's really an inserted almost as a parenthesis into another story. Um, and what we're going to see this morning is, is this. Here's our big idea. In Jesus, the great physician, the helpless and hopeless find more help and more hope than they could ever imagine. 
So in Christ Jesus, the great physician, the helpless and the hopeless, find more help and more hope than they could ever imagine. All right, so we're going to see three, three real scenes in this passage, and then we'll, um, we'll wrap up with, with a, a fundamental truth for us this morning. The first scene that, that we're going to see is a desperate plea. Look at me at verse 21. When Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him and while he was by the sea. One of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, My little daughter is dying. Come and lay your hands on her so that she can get well and live. So Jesus went with him, and a large crowd was following and pressing against him. Now, Last week, really the last two weeks, we saw Jesus crossing the sea. Two weeks ago, we, we saw him uh, calming the storm in the boat as they were crossing. And last week, we, he got to the other side and, and cast out demons from, from, from a man he encountered. And we're told that, he, that that act was not received well. In fact, we're told that people begged Jesus to leave their region. And so we see here him doing that, him, him leaving, him being rejected, and now going back to the other side of the, of the Sea of Galilee. We don't know if this is back to Capernaum, to kind of his home base of ministry, or if he's in another one of the towns on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. We, we're not given that detail, but what we're told is that he crossed, and as usual, there's a large crowd gathered by him, and a synagogue leader named Jairus came and fell at his feet. Now, now remember, the synagogue leaders were not big fans of Jesus. In fact, they have created quite a stir, and, and, and Jesus was creating some problems for them because of uh, how he was proclaiming the kingdom of God. And so the, the synagogue leaders were not followers of Jesus for the most part. They, they did not like him. And yet we see here in a moment of desperation, this man Jairus coming and throwing himself at the feet of the Savior because he has a daughter who is dying. And in this moment, his desperation outweighs his doubt. And he comes to Jesus begging him, no doubt having some heard about Jesus's abilities to heal, maybe even himself having seen Jesus cast out demons, heal the diseased. So at the end of his rope, comes crying to Jesus. In verse 24, we're simply told, so Jesus went with him and a large crowd was following and pressing against him. You know, what I, what I find interesting here is someone who had no interest in Jesus until they had a crisis in their life where they had no other option. And even in that, we see the compassion of the Savior. So for everyone that we look at, and we hear often about deathbed confessions, folks who've lived maybe uh, horrendously sinful lifestyles 
And it seems that the 11th hour put their faith in trusting Christ Jesus. And maybe there's, there's always a, a part of us that wants to be skeptical about that. I think this passage here shows us the way the Savior responds to those who, res, who come to Christ when they have nowhere else to turn. Because I think if we're honest, and we, we looked at our own lives, we would realize that at the end of the day, all of us, Every last one of us, in the end, has nowhere to turn but to Christ Jesus. So Jesus went with him. He didn't lecture him. He, he didn't meet, him, meet, meet his, his pleas with suspicion. Only compassion, Jesus went with him. And apparently the crowd followed They've seen Jesus do some cool stuff, and now they're, they're curious if he can do even this, save this young daughter who's dying. And then we reach a, what's really a parenthesis within this story. So, so set aside Jairus and, and his daughter for a minute, and suddenly we're, we're told about this woman who's in the crowd with a daring plan to reach the Savior. Look at me, starting in verse 25. Now a woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years had endured much under many doctors. She had spent everything she had and was not helped at all. On the contrary, she became worse. Having heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his clothing. For she said, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be made well. Instantly, her flow of blood ceased and she sensed in her body that she was healed of her affliction. At once, Jesus realized in himself the power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? His disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing against you, and yet you say, who touched me? But he was looking around to see who had done this. The woman, with fear and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be healed from your affliction. So at the end of verse 24, we're told that a large crowd was following Jesus. And, and apparently in this crowd was this woman whom we're told was suffering from bleeding for 12 years. Now, now, without getting into all the details of what this disorder might be, what we see here is a woman who is suffering greatly. And we're, we're told here that she had spent all that she had on doctors. And she didn't get better. In fact, just the opposite. She grew worse. Now, according to the Jewish ceremonial law, she would have been constantly unclean for 12 years. That means that she would have been cut off from her family. She would have been unable to gather in worship with her fellow Jews. Much like a leper, she would have had to declare to anyone around her that she was unclean as she walked through the town so they could keep their distance. This was a miserable life that this woman had had for 12 years. At this point, she had no doubt heard of Jesus' power. 
She thought, if I, if I can just touch his garment, he can heal me. And so she takes this massive risk. She sneaks through the crowd. Remember, she's not supposed to be around the crowd. And, and if she's in a group of people, she's supposed to yell, unclean, so that people will know. Yet she makes her way through the crowd, convinced if she can just touch his garment as he passes by, she'll be made well. Now, keep in mind, according to Jewish ceremonial law, anyone she touches would also be unclean. So by reaching out and touching Jesus' garment, she would, in the eyes of the Jewish law, make Jesus unclean. So she's willing to risk not only her own reputation, she's willing to risk the reputation of Jesus because she believes that he has that kind of power. Verse 29, we're told instantly her flow of blood ceased. And she sensed in her body that she was healed of her affliction. And we don't know exactly what happened, but, but something happened inside her and she knew that she was healed. Verse 30, we're told that once Jesus realized in himself that power had gone out from him, and he turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? And his disciples go, are you serious right now? Jesus, we are walking through a crowd. There are people touching you left and right. What do you mean, who touched you? All these people touched you. And Jesus says, no, no. One of them was very different. Now, now the question arises here, did, and, and commentators are not split on this, and I don't, I don't think this is an orthodoxy issue, or I don't think you have to land correctly on, on one side of this issue or not to be considered a, a believer, but the question is, did, did Jesus know who touched him in that moment? Did, did, did he know? I'm, I'm going to lean on the side that, that he did. Okay, I'm, I'm going to fall on the side that he absolutely uh, knew who touched him, what had happened, and yet he's teaching something here. He's teaching something to his disciples. He's teaching something to the crowd, and he's teaching something to this woman. So he's looking around to see who had done this, and the woman, we're told, with fear and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Now, I think when it says she told him the whole truth, she recounts to him everything that she's experienced over the last 12 years. How this disorder came on. What it's been like to be isolated from her friends, isolated from her family, cut off from her people. A public spectacle when, when she would walk through the marketplace. People would see her and, and they knew and they would keep their distance. And look at 34. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be healed from your affliction. See, like so many of the other people, like every other person that we've encountered in this 
gospel, who's encountered Jesus, the primary uh, need that they had was not to be healed physically. Believe it or not, the primary, uh, the, the primary need for the paralytic was not that his legs would work. Even last week, the, the primary need for, for that young man was not that, that the legion of demons would be cast out from him, but, but the, the primary need for them was that they would be reconciled to their Savior. And in each of these instances, we, we see that that happens. And it's no different for the woman. She lived a miserable existence. She had this, this horrendous disorder, and yet her biggest need was not that. It was to be reconciled to the Savior. It was to have her sins forgiven. And by faith, just like we sang about a while ago, by faith, she was saved and healed by the mercy of Jesus. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be healed from your affliction. Now keep in mind, there's this crowd that's, that's witnessing all of this. And at this point, the, the reason I wanted to cover these together because we, we see something about the, the life and the plan of Jesus here. His key, keep in mind the whole reason Jesus is going and the reason there's a crowd following him is because Jairus came to him and said, my daughter is dying, please come help. Jesus goes and, and suddenly this woman appears and Jesus stops and addresses the woman. Now imagine with me just for a moment what Jairus is thinking at this point. Jesus is supposed to be going to his house to heal his daughter. And suddenly there's this woman that's disrupting that. I wonder if in Jairus or, or in some of the crowd's minds, if they thought, you know, this woman's been dealing with this for 12 years, could it not wait another hour? Aren't there more pressing issues at hand? Is, is Jesus wasting precious time here when this young girl is on the brink of death? In fact, in verse 35, we're told, while he was still speaking, people came from the synagogue leader's house and said, your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? And that seems like, most of the cases, that's the end of hope at that point. As long as she was alive. There was hope Jesus could come and heal her, but now it's, it's over. It's too late, right? Not with Jesus. Because in Jesus, we see a death-reversing power. Verse 36. When Jesus overheard what was said, he told the synagogue leader, don't be afraid, only believe. He did not let anyone accompany him except Peter, James, and John, James's brother. They came to the leader's house and he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. 
He went in and said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but asleep. Now, verse 35, Jesus overhears the, the, the news that the young girl has died. And, and he gives Jairus a really interesting command here. Especially considering this, this man has just heard that his daughter has died. Jesus doesn't say, don't be sad. Jesus doesn't say, hey, it's no big deal. Um, I've got this all under control. He, he doesn't tell him what he's going to do. He says, don't be afraid. Only believe. And going on, we, we see the first time that Jesus takes his inner three in, in the disciples, Peter, James, and John. They're the, they're the only disciples who get to witness what Jesus does here. He gets to the house and there are, says there's a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. Now in those days, there were actually professional mourners that would be hired to come to the house and make a great commotion, weeping and wailing. And so you, you imagine just the chaos that, that's happening at this house when, when Jesus arrives. And Verse 39, he went in and said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but asleep. And they laughed at him. He put them all outside. Took the child's father, mother, and those who were with him and entered the place where the child was. Suddenly the, the professional mourners become laughers when, when Jesus said she's only asleep because they obviously don't believe. And, and I just imagine Jesus on the, on the way to Jairus' house as, as grief is beginning to, to overwhelm Jairus. Jesus just com, continues to say, don't be afraid. Only believe. Don't be afraid. Only believe. Did Jairus, did you see what just happened with this woman? Just belief. Jesus clears the room. There's this girl laying there dead, and we're told in verse 41, he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which is translated little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl got up and began to walk. She was 12 years old. At this, they were utterly astonished. Now, now really quickly, don't miss the parallels that we see between this story and the woman with the issue of blood. The woman suffered with this condition for how long? 12 years. And in parentheses, we're told this young girl is how old? 12 years old. As long as this girl had been alive, this woman had suffered with this condition. And when the woman was healed of her condition, this 12-year-old girl had just passed away. But there's another parallel here. That's at the very beginning of verse 42. Because we're told immediately she began to get up and walk around. Just like back in verse 29, the first word there is 
instantly, immediately, her blood flow ceased. What we see here is Jesus' healing is immediate in both cases. At this, they were utterly astounded, which might be um, the most understated sentence in all of Scripture. They were utterly astounded. Then he gave them strict orders. No one should know about this and told them to give her something to eat. So again, we see Jesus commanding secrecy on those that he's, that he's healed. Because he's, as we've said, he's already got crowds forming around him, and, and this would create even more crowds. And Jesus still has ministry to do all over the place. And as the crowds pressed in on him, we see that, that his earthly ministry began to be affected because he wasn't able to move as freely as he wanted. So, so far we've seen this synagogue ruler who, who went to Jesus really out of desperation, pleaded with him, come, my, my daughter's dying. And on the way, this woman approaches Jesus quietly through the crowd, just touches his garments, instantly healed. And Jesus declares that her sins are forgiven. As they're talking, they get news that this young girl has died. But that doesn't affect the plan of Jesus. He still has something to show his people. He still has something to teach his people. So he goes and raises this young girl back to life. So what do we see in this passage then? What is, what, what is this divine promise that, that we're given here? Well, in, in this passage, what we clearly see is that Jesus heals what is broken. That he brings to life what was once dead. You know, over the past, I don't know, four, eight, twelve, sixteen years, we've we've heard a lot about hope, right? And 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 where our hope should be as people. It seems like right right about now, every four years, we we get this new discussion about hope. And how our hope, or we'll hear a lot that insinuates that, that our hope as individuals rests on someone who's going to wind up in the White House in November. I guess depending on which side of the political aisle you fall will depend on where your hope is placed. Heard a lot over the past week as, as we celebrated July 4th, the about the, the hope of our nation and, and, and the hope that brighter days are ahead. But, but folks, listen to me very carefully. And maybe especially this weekend, this is important to, to make very clear. Our hope is not in an election in November. Our, our, our hope is, is not even in, in the idea of freedom found in what, what our United States flag represents. Now, now, don't mishear what I'm saying because the freedom that we have here is absolutely a blessing. And the freedom that we've experienced to worship as, as we see fit over the last almost 250 years is, 
is almost unprecedented in human history. But, but hear me out. The freedom that we have in Christ is not dependent upon any president or any governor. In, in fact, as we've discussed before, Christianity has often experienced its greatest times of growth when religious freedoms were restricted. When persecution was rampant. I just, I've always found it interesting that when there was restricted personal freedom, there seems to be more and more spiritual freedom that the people experience. And um, the, the hope that we have as people is not in some ethereal idea of a nation or a leader. Our, our, our hope is in a person named Jesus Christ, the, the one who has the power to heal diseases and to raise the dead. And Paul understood that in Ephesians 2. This is, this is how he kind of summed up the, the gospel message to his Ephesian readers. In Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10, he said, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously walked, according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from work so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. In, in the story today, we saw two individuals who were utterly powerless to improve their own situation. This, this woman who had suffered within, with a condition for 12 years and had done everything in her power and, and everything in doctor's power to, to heal that disease and nothing got better. In fact, it said it only got worse. Her only hope was in the Savior. We saw a young girl that was literally dead. Completely unable to do anything for herself. We saw the healing hand of the Master that was able to bring to life what was once dead. And that illustrates for us exactly what Paul was saying here that we are all dead in sin, separated from Christ, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. I, I, I dare say that there, these two women's encounter with the Savior changed their life forever 
changed the ways that they interacted with others. In the same way, our encounter with Christ should change us. Realizing that we've been brought from death to life. Saved by grace. That, that in Christ something has been done for us that we could not do for ourselves. And so, as, as we talked a lot this week in, in different discussions around our nation, as we celebrate Independence Day, what it means to live as, as people who have freedom. There's been a lot of discussion about that over the past four months or so. <laughs> what does it mean to live as people who are free? As a follower of Christ, we, we, we really ask that exact same question. What does it look like for us to live as people who've been set free from the power of sin and death by Christ Jesus? The first step is to trust in Christ, to the, the, the Christ who gives true freedom to those in bondage. And I always put this up here because I never want to assume that, that everyone in the room has is, is come to that place where we're trusted in Christ. You can do that today by simply using these words to frame as, as a prayer to Almighty God. Lord Jesus, my life is broken. I realize it's because of my sin. I need you. I believe Christ came to live, die, and was raised from the dead to rescue me from my sin. Forgive me. I turn from my selfish ways and put my trust in you. I know that Jesus is Lord of all, and I will follow him. So you can, you can trust in Christ Jesus today and experience the freedom from the, sin of power, from the power of sin and death right now. If you're watching us online, there's a phone number that's up on the screen. You can call that number, text that number this week. I'd love to visit with you about what it means to put your faith and trust in Christ. If you're here in the room with us today, you can... Uh, you can do the same thing. You can call or text that number this week. You can also come visit with me in just a moment and say, Kyle, I want to know more about what it means to follow Christ Jesus. But for those of us who have, my, my, my simple question to us is, who do you know that needs to experience this freedom in Christ? I, I dare say right now that if, if any of us knew someone that had the, the cure for the coronavirus, we, we would be telling other people about that. Right? Hey, listen, if you, go to, if you go to this doctor, he's got the, he's got the cure. We would, we would be happy about that. We would gladly proclaim that from the rooftops. We might even rent billboards and get megaphones and whatnot. As great as that would be, that's still a temporary fix to a problem that we experience as humans. Folks, we've been given the cure for the greatest problem that has ever plagued humanity. We know the answer. We know the great physician. Let's tell others about it. Plead with them to trust in Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for Christ Jesus who has the power to set us free from the bondage of sin and death. I thank you so much for the passage this morning, these two stories. These two women that were utterly incapable of healing themselves. Yet Christ Jesus had compassion on them. 
I thank you for the example of Jairus whom, who went and sought Jesus out to bring him to his daughter. I thank you for the example we have there and in, in, in the way Christ Jesus responded that he went. He didn't condemn. He went and he showed compassion both on Jairus and on his family. Father, we live in a world right now where there's so much confusion over a number of topics. And, and so many areas we're, we're bombarded with conflicting data and sometimes it's hard to believe what is true. As followers of Christ, we proclaim that your word is truth. We know that Nations and kingdoms will come and go. But the word of God will stand forever. And so, in these days of so much misinformation and confusion that's being spread, help us to stand on your word and declare that no matter what happens in this life, our hope is in Christ Jesus. Pray for our neighbors who, who don't know Christ, that, that we'd have the opportunity to share. We even have the opportunity to meet very real physical needs, and, and in so doing, we'd have the opportunity to share the gospel. I thank you for um, this ministry opportunity that's come about by these food boxes and the way we've been able to bless some families and even those conversations I've been able to have. Tell them we do this because we love you and because we love them. Father, help us to put our hope and our trust in you each and every day that we might experience the freedom that's only available through Christ Jesus. Show us how to walk in that. We ask all these things in his mighty name. Amen.